Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Happy Friday, football fans, and welcome into another edition of the Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines, and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle joins the show to discuss all things Texans, including the uncertain future of Jadavion Clowney. Plus, I'll break down the Dolphins quarterback situation and the latest reports about Ezekiel Elliott's contract holdout. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome into the Pro Football Chase podcast. It's Isaac Signs with you here, and joining me for today's podcast episode is Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle. He joined the paper in August of 2015. He was a Ravens beat writer from 2001 to 2015, and he's also covered other teams as well throughout his career. So, Aaron, thanks again for joining me, and how are you doing today? Doing great, thank you. All right, well, let's get right into it. I know you're short on time, breaking news there for the Texans. What's uh, an update on Jadavion Clowney? I've seen some reports that he's maybe being shopped around in trade talks. Can you provide a little bit more insight into that situation? Yeah, my understanding is that they have conversations. They check on the value, what people would do. The idea that he's going to be traded, though, is kind of a stretch when you look at the fact that he has the leverage of not signing the tender, that you can't sign into a long-term deal. It's a little tough to really trade a lot of draft capital for someone that's good as Jadavion Clowney, and then you have no guarantee other than you can tag him again if you have his rights. But I think it's difficult. And for the Texans, honestly, I don't think they have enough pass rush without him. So it'd have to be something like a left tackle or just a great draft package. I think it's not worth them doing. And it'll depend when he reports, what he's like when he reports, what kind of shape is he in, what's his interaction like with Bill O'Brien. I think there's still some moving parts here. Would I completely rule it out? No. Do I think it's unlikely? Yes. I think it's unlikely that he'll wind up eventually being moved. But just talking to another team is not like really a big deal. People talk about players all the time and you'd be surprised how many good players get discussed in trade scenarios. Just a matter of does it get public or not with him? Yeah, obviously it leaked that they've talked to 10 teams. So who would know that they talked to 10 teams? The Texans, they would know. So that looked like a pretty obvious, like, Hey, did anyone want to make us a good offer? It just doesn't sound like they're getting the response that they would hope for 
to trade a player, a commodity like Jadavian Clowney. So it all leads me to believe that he will be traded unless they just decide that it's some sort of distraction to them. They want to move on and get less than they should for him. But if you're talking about maximum value, I think that the timing for the trade is pretty bad right now. The Texans, they placed that $15.443 million franchise tag on him. They were unable to finalize a long-term deal before July 15th's deadline. Clowney remains away from the team. Now, Aaron, there's been some reports, some conflicting ones at that, about Clowney reporting to the team at some point before week one of the regular season. Do the Texans have any more idea as to when he could eventually arrive into the Texans' headquarters? They were hoping he would show up after the third preseason game. My understanding is that he's more likely to be gone longer than that and to show up, you know, possibly after the fourth preseason game, which is Thursday. So I think he would probably report after that, then do a week of practice, then play against the Saints. But it's not – at this point, he's missed most of the preseason, not playing in a preseason game anyway. So I don't know, other than, you know, having a few extra days of practice and conditioning and – time to get him acclimated to football again. I'm not sure how important that is. Now, it seems like both sides were really never close on agreeing to an extension. Darren, they never negotiated. They didn't, they, they didn't negotiate. They, just, they have a fundamental disagreement about his value. There's nothing to negotiate. Okay, so that is why you're saying the dynamic, the relationship between Bill O'Brien and Clowney could have some friction to it. Well, yeah, I mean, he wants to be paid, but it's also a case of, you know, he understands that he's was going to be under the tag and kind of what would go with that. So I think everybody kind of understands the situation and kind of, you know, how it's going to go. So it's, I don't know if to say that it's uh, divisive is really so much. I mean, it's not ideal. Well, my next question, Aaron, is we all see the presence of Whitney Merciless, the savvy veteran there who's been a very productive pass rusher for the Houston Texans, who, by the way, is in a contract here himself. What does his presence do for a Texans defense that right now could be preparing to play without Clowney week one? Right. It's been a few years since he had 12 and a half sacks. Last year, he had a hamstring injury and a back injury. They didn't rush him a lot. He had four sacks. They say they're going to use him more this year. We'll see. You know, it's just, it's been a couple years since we've seen that kind of pass rush production from Merciless. And there's some reasons behind it. Two years ago, he tore his peg. And then last year, you know, he had some injuries too, and they reduced his role. But to me, when they're reducing your role, then all of a sudden you're going to tell me, He's going to be back to that old role and like nothing happened. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you obviously changed the way you utilized him for a reason. I, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say all of a sudden he's back to being like a 10 sack guy. And of course, like any player, every year starts from scratch. You got to go out and produce, but he's a good football player. He helps them. He makes them better. They need him and Jadavian Clowney and JJ Watt. They need all of those guys. They don't have enough pass rush. This is Aaron Wilson again from the Houston Chronicle on the line with me for today's podcast. What can we expect from Deshaun Watson as he enters year number three? You've been around the team a lot. What's the vibe like? How has he been able to get these veterans to buy into his leadership? I think from the time he arrived, they really bought in. A lot of the guys were very aware of him at Clemson. They had a lot of respect for him. So, yeah, I feel like 
that's only grown. And his game, the way he's delivered, the way he plays, all that has combined to give him a lot of credibility in the locker room and make him one of the more dynamic young quarterbacks in the game. So, yeah, there's no shortage of leadership with him. It's, you know, you get really good leadership with Deshaun Watson. What are your early impressions of first-round offensive tackle Titus Howard? I know he suffered an injury earlier this preseason. That's got him sidelined right now. But how has he looked when he's been in there? I know he's gotten reps at guard and offensive tackle. Right. He's tough. He's athletic. He's a good guy. I think that he's much better at guard initially than he is at tackle. We haven't seen excellent pass protection from him. We've seen a few breakdowns, but I've seen very physical aggressive play from him at guard. I think he's going to play guard this year. And here's another offensive tackle. As we know, the Texans doubled down there in that position. They selected Max Sharping in the second round. How has he looked in training camp up to this point? He looks very good. He's a tough guy. He plays guard. He plays tackle. He's played more guard than tackle. He is pushing for a starting job at right guard. And I expect him to have a, a good role as a rookie and to wind up as one of the starters, whether it's first game or later, as right guard or right tackle. Okay, and, and I'm curious about this one, Aaron. And this is just a thought based off nothing I've read, but I know the Texans, they added Bradley Roby, they drafted Lonnie Johnson, and I see one player on their depth chart there at DB, Aaron Colvin, who they gave a four-year, $34 million contract last March. Now an injury affected him last year. What is going on with him? Does he still have a future there in Houston? Yeah, I think he's going to wind up being the slot corner. I don't think that he's going to lose the job. He has played a little bit better than last year. He's healthier, much healthier than last year. He hasn't made a lot of plays on the ball, but... Yeah, I think they're comfortable with him. And financially, they're kind of stuck on that contract for now. It's hard to get rid of him one year into the deal. So, yeah, it's been disappointing. It was a disappointing start last year. But I, I don't think they're at a point where they're going to cut bait with Aaron Colvin and just move on. I think they're going to go through this season with him. Here's uh, week three of the preseason. It's upon us. We've already seen some games now. Tomorrow night, we see the Texans go to Dallas to take on the Cowboys, their interstate rival. What are some main storylines that you're keeping your eyes on, not only for the Texans, but as an NFL reporter, what about the Dallas Cowboys? Right. When it comes to the Texans, I'll be watching Rod Johnson, who had a pretty good start last week against the Detroit Lions, and seeing how he does as their left tackle again, because Matt Khalil has continued to have health problems and they're being very conservative trying to get into the season with, you know, the amount of injuries he's had missed all last year with a knee injury, but Rod Johnson looks really good at left tackle and they're giving him a long look as a potential stand in. And I think that decision has not been made on what they're going to do with the left tackle spot. But Rod Johnson has emerged as kind of a surprising good addition off waivers last year from Cleveland. And now they have that option with a younger player than Khalil that could potentially, you know, be that guy. So they're checking him out. I think he's going for a pretty good audition here. And then Kahali wearing out with a concussion. So we're going to see Darren Fells and Jordan Thomas, Jordan Akins, 
and Jarrell Adams. And if he, if he doesn't recover soon, I wonder if he's going to be put on IR and maybe Adams makes, makes the team. Adams is kind of a long shot, but he's played very well this preseason, so maybe he's going to make the team. As far as Dallas, you know, obviously nothing really happening with their contract situations that have dominated the news, but, you know, you're still going to have Dak Prescott out there for a little while. You'll have, you know, probably no DeMarcus Lawrence. I think it's going to be probably a light, a light deal. I know the Texans aren't playing their guys a lot, a lot of the main players, so I'm not expecting this to be that exciting. It's preseason football, and this is the trend. You don't play your starters much in the preseason. That is right, and we saw some big players go down with injury. Cam Newton last night. So with reason, these teams want to scale back their Maybe starters. Deshaun plays a qu- I think Deshaun will play one quarter, whereas in the past he played three quarters in the third preseason game. That, that stuff's kind of passe now, having a guy play a lot of preseason football. You have all those good snaps in practice. I think coaches are wise to do whatever's best for their team, not what's best for you know the bottom line and Sorts of entertaining fans for meaningless games. Sean McVay there, who hasn't played any of his starters this entire preseason. And then you got Doug Peterson from the Eagles say that he prefers joint practices over preseason games. Now, Aaron, you've covered the Texans. They had some joint practices with the Packers earlier this preseason. Just being around these joint practices. Can you talk a little bit about what that atmosphere is like between two teams who are obviously competing to the highest level? Well, it simulates game conditions. It's not the same, though, because you're not supposed to tackle to the ground. Lonnie Johnson didn't get that memo, and then he got thrown out of practice for some excessive hits on Dave Sternberger and Trevor Davis. But, yeah, for the most part, guys stay up. It's the You pop the pads a little bit, but you, you don't get on the ground, and you don't have an injury, and that, that's what it's supposed to be like. I think that the practices with Detroit were very good. They got a lot of good work. And that's how you're able to hold starters out of preseason games because they've had game reps or practice reps that simulate game conditions. And that's the idea of the joint practices. They're also, you know, just for the press, they're interesting. And um, the ones in Green Bay and Detroit were open to fans so people could see it and watch. Uh, and if you're like a really you know, serious fan and you like lineman drills, things like that, they're pretty cool. If you want to watch that stuff, watch the one-on-ones, watch all that stuff with the linemen, the receivers, the corners. It can be pretty cool. But, yeah, I think it's tough because you don't have all the, obviously, the concessions and the hoopla and the scoreboard and the highlights to try to make it a real sellable thing. Do you have any injury update on Kiki Kuti? Sprained his ankle. He's touch and go for the first game. I would not be surprised if he misses the game. DeAndre Carter would replace him. Gotcha. And last question, is there one week one matchup that you are looking forward to the most? Uh, Marshawn Lattimore and DeAndre Hopkins. I want to see that one. That one will definitely be one to watch. Well, again, Aaron, thanks for taking the time to join me today. I wish you the best as you continue your coverage of the Houston Texans. So have a great rest of the afternoon. Thanks. Good to talk to you. So again, that was Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle. I really am grateful that he took the time to join me for a quick podcast interview to discuss the Jadavion Clowney situation. I know that's one of the main topics this preseason as he, along with Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott, 
have been the holdout warriors and there's been a lot of speculation about what these teams will do in negotiations but to move on to a couple of other topics before i end today's episode i did want to get into the miami dolphins quarterback situation as we saw on national television last night the Miami Dolphins and the Jacksonville Jaguars. It seems to me like the Jaguars played their starters for a couple of series, maybe the first quarter, and then they pulled them pretty quickly. Now, as for the Dolphins, first year head coach Brian Flores really wanted to use this game as the quote unquote dress rehearsal game and played his starters into the third quarter, at least offensively. Now, the main question around Miami this offseason has been who their starting quarterback will be. Obviously, going back to the end of March, the Dolphins inked Fitzpatrick to a one-year deal. Now, this was kind of a developing situation over time. We saw the Dolphins, they targeted Teddy Bridgewater in free agency, but he ultimately decided to return to New Orleans, and you can understand his case, getting to sit behind Drew Brees for at least another season, learn from the mastermind that he is. So then Miami turned the page and went to Ryan Fitzpatrick, the 36-year-old journeyman, and then uh, about a little bit more than a month down the road, the Dolphins, they acquired Josh Rosen, the former number 10 overall pick of the 2018 NFL Draft. He was selected by the Arizona Cardinals. We all know the turnover they had in that organization. They ended up selecting Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick of this year's draft, which is what prompted the Dolphins to make a draft day trade for Rosen, giving up their 2019 second round pick as well as their 2020 fifth round pick. And so it's been a two quarterback race, you know, through OTAs and through mandatory minicamp and a lot of the recent reports has Fitzpatrick as the front runner to start week one against the Baltimore Ravens. And we've seen Brian Flores address the media time and time again, as I'm sure he's tired of hearing those same old quarterback questions. And he has yet to come out and say point blank that Fitzpatrick is indeed their week one starter. And I wouldn't expect an official announcement until game week. So still a couple of weeks left for them as they continue their debate internally. But Flores has given the indication that Fitzpatrick is indeed the leading candidate to start the regular season while the 22-year-old Josh Rosen sits on the bench, at least for the early portion of the 2019 campaign. And while all signs point towards Fitzpatrick being the guy, right, for the Miami Dolphins, which, by the way, they're a rebuilding team. They're young. It's been spoken about all offseason long since they brought in Flores from the Patriots, and they made some other moves. Chad O'Shea bringing him from the Patriots staff, the former wide receivers coach who's now their offensive coordinator. They are embracing a culture change in Miami. They inked Xavier Howard to that mega contract extension. And I think Flores, his message has been pretty clear. Is Look, we want to bring in young players that can produce, can play at a high level. And he essentially told the media, look, I understand this is a rebuilding position. It's going to take some time to develop a contender, especially in an AFC East division where we all know the Patriots have reigned atop that hill for many consecutive years. And they're looking mighty strong again. So, 
they're going to be bottom feeders. I think it's safe to say. Now, could this team surprise some people down the road and win a couple of impressive games? Sure, because they do have an abundance of talent there in Miami. Now you're looking at Bryce McCain, who moved over to safety. TJ McDonald. Jerome Baker, who's now fully healthy. Charles Harris, who the Dolphins are hoping to get some big things from this season. So I can see this team being feisty and hanging around with some competitive opponents. However, we all know that they are going to have their fair share of struggles, which is why I believe the Dolphins should start Josh Rosen over Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now you look at the Dolphins, their first four opponents, they got Baltimore, they got the Patriots at home, they traveled to Dallas to take on the Cowboys, and they're home to the Chargers. So three of the four games are at home however nonetheless these four opponents are very highly regarded amongst the entire NFL and a lot of people say that's going to be a gauntlet for Josh Rosen look no further than what he saw last season in Arizona where every single week he was getting hit thrown to the ground didn't get much help there from his receivers, I know Larry Fitzgerald was out there, and Christian Kirk had a little bit of a breakout campaign. For those of you who played fantasy football, he was one of the biggest waiver wire pickups. And so there was some positives that were there in Arizona with Josh Rosen moving in that offense. But we know, watching the tape, he really just was in a world of hurt and a world of struggles. His decision-making wasn't good at all times. And you know what? That's expected as a rookie signal call. I know he's a month behind Ryan Fitzpatrick in the system. He still has some things to make up, but there's a couple weeks left here until the regular season begins on Sunday, September 8th. And my thing is, look, the Dolphins, they gave up a fifth round pick. I know they surrendered their second round pick in the 2019 draft, but there's been a lot of talk about GM Chris Greer and Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, being infatuated with Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa, who are two of the top-rated quarterback prospects in the 2020 NFL Draft. And so all signs point towards the Dolphins targeting one of those quarterbacks. And them already admitting that kind of shows you where their minds are in terms of their final record, maybe looking at three, four, five wins. That's going to give them a top-five pick. So maybe some tanking will occur for the Dolphins as we get into the last month and a half of the season, depending on where we are. You never know, it is the National Football League, so crazier things have happened, especially when you see the type of lightning start Ryan Fitzpatrick got off to for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when Jameis Winston started the year on the suspension list. So I understand you can watch Fitzpatrick go to work, you can see a quarterback that can flat out fling it, and it's intriguing from an aspect where you got Ken Stills, who's a deep threat, who can beat secondaries for 60, 70 yard plays. Albert Wilson, who's working himself back from injury, and he's fully integrated back into the mix. Shaquem Grant, who they just gave a four-year contract extension. So I can understand that some within the Dolphins organization would rather go with that boom of Fitzpatrick and his uncanny ability to fling that ball down the field when he's got hands in his face when he's getting knocked to the ground he's a seasoned veteran however my counterpoint is Josh Rosen you need to see what you have in this 22 year old signal caller who was looked at as the next 
Peyton Manning by some talent evaluators looking at his throwing motion, looking at the touch that he puts on some of his passes, which he did display some of those qualities last night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I understand he was going up against the second and third teamers. However, you cannot deny that there is something there to develop and tap into in the right circumstances under the right coordinator, which Chad O'Shea, who comes from New England, would have the opportunity to see Josh Rosen play a full 16 games. Scouts, GM executives would be able to look at Rosen and say, does this guy have potential to be our long-term solution at the quarterback position? And if they feel like they've seen enough, then that may detour them from going after one of these top quarterback prospects. Of course, that would have to take a lot to be able to do. And another thing that comes along with that process is that right now the Dolphins currently, as they're constructed, at least offensively, you have that one-two punch of Kalen Balage and Kenyon Drake. And so you're trying to figure out how that running back rotation is going to be set up. Of course, Drake working his way back from injury, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent next year. And then the tight end position, you see Nick O'Leary, who's a primary blocker. And then you're also seeing Mike Gusecki, who struggled at times trying to adapt to the NFL speed. But you saw him on tape, his athleticism last night jumped up for the biggest pass play of the evening from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And so there are some moving pieces along the offensive line as well. They lost Jerwan James. Laramie Tunsil is probably their best offensive lineman right now. So I understand that Rosen's not going to get things on a silver platter either, and that's okay. If you're Brian Flores, you got to make the point to say, we need a full sample size of Josh Rosen. He's 28 for 45, 62% completion percentage, 358 yards, one pick, no touchdowns through three preseason games. While Fitzpatrick, he's completed 53% of his passes with just one touchdown. Not saying that the preseason should be the determining factor, and who knows what they're seeing with Rosen behind the scenes. Now, granted, he could have horrible study habits, which is what's making them go with Fitzpatrick, but just looking at both of these players from an age perspective, from a potential perspective, and from what this franchise wants to do in the coming years, which is they want to bring some victories to this team. They want to bring some hardware. They want to dethrone the New England Patriots, as do the Bills and the Jets, aka, because the Patriots' reign has just been ongoing for a long time. But Rosen should be the guy to go under center week one against the Baltimore Ravens. If he throws three interceptions, that's fine. Remember, this is his second year in the NFL, and he's learning an entire new system in just year two, which you look at some of the greats out there. They've been under one full system for eight, ten years at a time, and that's why they're able to generate success. So before you want to go at Rosen's head, give him some time, give him some patience, give him the playing time. So there's my take there on the Dolphins quarterback situation. And real briefly, I want to go ahead and touch on this Ezekiel Elliott contract situation. There's been some conflicting reports out there. It started in the early morning. Kevin Turner of 105.3 The Fan in DFW, which is the flagship station of the Dallas Cowboys, came out and said that Elliott is scheduled to fly back to Dallas tomorrow from Cabo as he and the team officials close in on a contract agreement. Turner said that both sides were in contact 
late last night, and they're hoping to finalize a deal sometime this weekend. But then a report surfaced literally about half an hour down the road, and it was Hall of Fame running back Marshall Falk, who appeared on the Rich Eisen Show, and you can watch that on the Audience Network every day on DirecTV from 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And he says that he's going to go out to Cabo to train Elliot himself. So then there is all kinds of questions coming in about, well, what report is true? Is Elliot still going to be there? Is Marshall Falk know something that we don't? Does Kevin Turner have the right information? Now, granted, Kevin Turner is the same radio host that broke the news that Elliot was going to Cabo during his holdout from training camp. So... I almost feel like there could be some validity to that one as well. And then the trio, right? The third layer of the pudding comes on this afternoon. And about an hour ago or so, Cowboys VP Stephen Jones joined that same flagship station, 105 Through the Fan, and said that they are not close to a deal with Ezekiel Elliott, although he is optimistic, quote-unquote, that they will eventually get a deal in place, as he mentioned that, Once these two can close the gap, things can take off pretty quickly. So there is, again, a glimmer of hope for the Dallas Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott's camp that something can be worked out from now until their regular season opener against the New York Giants. Now, my hunch is I've been telling a lot of my followers who have been direct messaging me about this Elliott contract situation, I really feel like... They will find common ground. It's just a matter of time. I know Ed Werder of ESPN put out there yesterday that the Cowboys currently have an offer on the table to Elliott that would make him the second highest paid running back in the NFL below Rams running back Todd Gurley who makes $14.375 million per year. Now the current Second highest paid running back is Jets running back Le'Veon Bell, who is making an average salary of $13.125 million per year. Now, I think Elliott's deal would put him in the range of $13.2 million to $14.2 million, I would assume. So, a little below Gurley's numbers, but I also did see something where the Cowboys, the structure of their deal is to offer Elliott some incentives that could boost him above Gurley's earnings depending on if he can reach certain milestones, which we've seen he's led the league in rushing two of the last three years. So I think there's confidence from Elliott's side that he would be able to obtain those playtime incentives. However, we know that Elliott still wants to be the highest paid running back flat out in One indicator was of uh, Joe Thomas, the retired offensive tackle, played for the Cleveland Browns, one of the best tackles to ever play the game. He tweeted the following message, and I quote, Throughout the course of NFL history, if you are the best player at your position, or clearly one of the best, he put in parentheses, when you re-sign a second contract with a team that drafted you, you usually beat the highest paid current contract at your position by 15 to 20%. Close quote, there's Joe Thomas. Well, guess who went ahead and retweeted that on his account? Ezekiel Elliott did. And so that just clarifies that he does not want to settle for anything less, which is why both sides, as we speak, have not reached that agreement. And then again, though, Thomas did add a valuable nugget to his point. Now, I don't think Elliott retweeted this one, but Here's what he had to say to follow up his initial message, and I quote, There is a valued argument to be made, Thomas writes, 
that because of Zeke's suspension and off-the-field issues, his value should be reduced. So even if you reduce the value a little bit, he should still beat the girly contract by 5%. Close quote, there's Thomas chiming in yet again. So I can see that point. You know what, Jerry Jones, a lot has been said about when Jones, after last weekend's preseason game against the Rams in Hawaii, he was asked about Tony Pollard and how he's been able to have success as a dynamic runner, drawing comparison to Alvin Kamara, the Pro Bowl running back there in New Orleans. Clarence Hill of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram asked Jerry Jones, hey, so does Tony Pollard's strong play change the contract talks with Ezekiel Elliott? And that's when Jerry Jones, who was being recorded at the time, I'm not sure if he was aware, said, Zeke who? And boy, did the media eat that up as we saw that quote all over the headlines on SportsCenter, Fox Sports 1, you name it. And then a couple of days later... Rocky Arsenault, Elliot's agent, comes out and sends a text over to Chris Mortensen saying that they felt disrespected by the Zeke Who comment. And then Jerry Jones responds and he has the final word in the media. He says, you know what? I've earned the right to joke with Ezekiel Elliott. And you know what? I actually am with Jerry Jones on this one because Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys organization, they have put up with a lot of headaches with Ezekiel Elliott off the field issues that he's consistently been involved in and every single time something has come up with Ezekiel Elliott who is his number one supporter and the first one to back him it's Jerry Jones and he does have a strong track record of that backing his players which is why a lot of players love to wear that star for Jerry Jones and so you know what at this point Jerry Jones has every right to make jokes about that and say whatever he wants to say publicly, right? Because you know what? Elliot has had a lot of mistakes. Now, if Elliot had no off-the-field baggage and reported to training camp and was willing to work for his money, and even if he showed up but didn't participate in practice, maybe there's a little bit of a different feel to those potential comments although you know if that happened I don't think Jerry Jones is saying Ziku so it's a slippery slope it goes back and forth however you want to interpret it but I do think eventually when the dust settles Ezekiel Elliott will put ink to paper on a new deal that's going to keep him in Dallas for the next three four years down the road he just turned 24 in July plenty of juice left in him the Cowboys they clearly use him he's a big part of what they want to do which is why they invested heavily in that offensive line I do think number 21 will be in tow to Dallas soon whether he's leaving Cabo this weekend I think it will just be a matter of time before September 8th that Elliot will be back to rejoin his teammates under a new deal there with the Cowboys. So there you have it. There's today's episode. Now a reminder to all those of you who are tuning into the Pro Football Chase podcast for the first time. I am releasing podcasts every Friday, so stay tuned on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Red Circle, the new podcasting host app, which is where I run my podcast through. So go check it out on all platforms by clicking on the link that is posted in my Instagram bio as well as my Twitter bio. At PFootballChase is my username on Twitter. And of course, it's ProFootballChase on Facebook. Go like my page as well as ProFootballChase on Instagram. I appreciate you all following me and tuning in today. Enjoy your weekend. And until next Friday... Take care and God bless.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.